Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 217 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Franklin Vo, author of More Than Two. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. How are you, man? Hey, Woody. Well, here we are, and, uh, you know... Starting the fifth year. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the f- oh, five years. It's like we have a relationship. God help us. <laughs> Without any further ado, on the line with us is Franklin Vo from the beautiful West Coast, the Upper West Coast. You're in Vancouver? I am in uh Vancouver, BC, and also in Portland, Oregon. I'm in Portland right now. Wow, one foot in each country. That is so easy. Uh, I guess being in the poly world, that is kind of what goes on. It is. I um, keep telling people that I do not recommend long-distance relationships at all, and they're a bit rubbish, and yet here I am, and I have several long-distance relationships, which means I travel a lot. You're by country, I'm by state, so it, it does keep us busy. Oh, that is for sure. Actually, tri-country, because I have partners in the UK as well. Okay. You're an overachiever, and and you love those (laughs) frequent flyer miles, right? Oh, man, my frequent flyer mile account is a mess. Just for fun, how big is your polycule? Wow, that's a really good question. mm, I'm not sure I know. I know that at one point it was north of 50 people. Um, I only have five partners myself, but I have uh, partners, of course, who have partners who have partners. I'm actually not quite sure what size it is right now. It's the big extended family poly style. Mm. Yeah. Big multi-country extended poly network. Yes. You wrote a landmark book back a few years ago called More Than Two. I co-wrote, to be uh, fair. Um, okay. My partner, Eve Rickert, and I wrote it together. And that kind of launched a lot of things. Uh, There was a podcast that was related to that and several other things. We have a lot of projects going on in the pipe at any given time. We don't actually have a more than two podcast. Of course, the more than two website's been around for a long time before the book. And we um, couldn't find a publisher for more than two. Everybody kept saying, oh, well, we don't think a book on Polly will sell. We don't oh. think a book on Polly will sell. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? Yeah, and I bet they're kicking themselves now because more than two's done rather well. But my partner, Eve, actually uh, has a background in book publishing. So we said, we can't find a book publisher to publish this book. You know what? We're just going to start a publishing company. And we're going to publish books on polyamory and kink and non-traditional relationships. And that's what we're going to do. So we founded a uh, publishing company. And our publishing company has done quite a few books now from a wide variety of different authors on, uh, on kink, on polyamory, on you know, other forms of ethical non-monogamy. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride. And, and what is that imprint that our readers should be looking for? 
Of course, there's more than two itself. I hear that that's a really good book. People have said. We, we just published a book that we're really, really proud of. It's an anthology that was done by Kitty Stryker, and it's called Ask, Building Consent Culture. And, you know, people in the poly and kink scenes talk quite a lot about consent and the value of affirmative consent and agency. And that book has a lot of essays from a whole bunch of different writers um, about the value of affirmative consent. I think it's a really, really good book. That, that is good and timely, by the way. Uh, affirmative consent is a big thing right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 just when I think Harvey's gone, his name pops up again. Mm-hmm. And uh, what other books do you have? We've done my memoir, of course, which is called The Game Changer and kind of the story of how I came to uh, polyamory and why I came to believe the things that I do about it. Um, wow, what else have we done? So two two books people seem to really like are both about uh, coming out as polyamorous or, you know, in a non-traditional, non-monogamous relationship. Uh, one of them is called It's Called Polyamory, and it's kind of a book that's for the person who's uh, coming out. If you don't know how to tell your parents or you don't know how to tell your neighbors, um, it's called Polyamory has a lot of, you know, sort of tips for doing that. And then there's another really short book we did that's called When Someone You Love is Poly. Uh, and that one's by sociologist Dr. Elizabeth Schaff, who does a lot of um, research on polyamory. Dr. L.A. was on the show here recently. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. But you can get like there. It's a really cheap little book, and you can get like five of them and just pass them out to you know your family members or your friends or your coworkers or whoever it is you want. Yeah, to I'm going to pass this. it out to my coworkers. That ought to be fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you you may have better better luck than I would. Um, I, I'm going to have the same luck you would. <laughs> yeah, we live in the um, the South, the uh, the Bible Belt, as it were. Not quite uh, the left coast that you enjoy. And so it, it's uh, always fun when we let it slip that we um, have multiple things going on. Yeah, I feel your pain. I lived in Georgia for a while. Ah, there you go. Yeah. You, you get yep. it. <laughs> uh, now, your publishing house's name, I was trying to uh, gather that a minute ago. It's called Thorn Tree Press. Thorn Tree Press. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, look it up. And you have several authors attached to it other than yourself. Oh, yes, yes. Um, we're publishing by quite a few authors. Um, uh, Dr. Chef, of course, who I just mentioned. Um, and we've got a uh, we've got Kitty Stryker's anthology, which is amazing. Um, we've got a new book that's coming out this fall that's called Love's Not Colorblind. And that's actually about how race uh, affects polyamory. And that one, I think, is going to be a really, really important book. Uh, I think so in the present environment because we're beginning to actually have these discussions in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. uh, we have went uh, – we're trying to move beyond I don't see color to we're going to discuss this issue and, and try to get a better understanding. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. Your original book. You were obviously poly before you wrote it. Mm -hmm. How did you discover you were poly? Oh, <laughs> um, I see. I got really lucky because I have always known that I'm polyamorous. Like, you know, even before the word polyamory existed, you know, when I was um, in grade school and there, I have this memory and I tell this story um, when we, you know, travel and we lecture, I have this memory of my grade school English teacher 
reading us this story about this beautiful princess who was, you know, being wooed by two princes and she had to figure out what to do. And I was, I guess, about sixth grade or so. And I was like, but wait a minute. Everybody knows that princesses live in castles and everybody knows that castles are big places and there's room for three people there. So what's the problem? You know, so I've I never really had that moment of like realization. Aha, I'm Polly. I've just never really understood monogamy. And in fact, I've actually never been in a monogamous relationship. Well, that's really saying something. I think I've been in the poly lifestyle, but I've had to do them one at a time for a long time. <laughs> it never really did work well that way. Yeah, funny that, huh? You just evolved into this relationship, but the book, how did the book come about? I screwed up a lot of things when I was first starting. So I started with this whole non-monogamy thing in like 1984. Um, I took two girls to my high school senior prom that, of course, raised a few eyebrows. Um, but I didn't have a community and I didn't have a language for what I wanted. I didn't have the word polyamory. So I was really kind of just, you know, making it all up as I went along. And mid-1990s, I think, um, I started writing on the web about this um, thing that I was doing where I was having multiple partners. A, f a uh, friend and, for a while, business partner and I, we had started a small press magazine. It was called Zero Magazine. And it was about BDSM and polyamory and, you know, all kinds of things that we were interested in. So there was, there was kink in there. There was like... Uh, uh, we talked about cyberpunk literature, just all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, and we put up a website for this uh, small press magazine. And on the website, I started writing about polyamory because we each had a little, you know, about us page. And I woke up one day and like, it seemed like the poly sections that I was writing we're getting all of the attention and all of a sudden zeromag.com was this site about polyamory. Oh, and there was also something about a magazine on it. So I kept writing and I kept writing and people kept reading and kept reading. And then in the early two thousands, people were like, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? And I was like, Oh my God, that's a great idea. I can totally write a book. I have no idea how to write a book. So the first thing I did was I went down to my bookstore and I bought a book about how to write a book. I'm not kidding. And I did everything that that book said you were supposed to do. So I, I put together a query letter and I made a list of agents and a list of publishers and I sent letters out to everybody and I got absolutely nothing. A whole bunch of people wrote back to and said, well, you know, a book on polyamory just doesn't have a market. There's no way this book will sell. But if you want to write a memoir, we would love to publish that. And I was like, no, because that wasn't the um, the book that I wanted to publish. So I sort of just kind of shelved the, the project. And then I met my partner, Eve. And I have a lot of stories that start with, and then I met my partner, Eve, because she has this knack of making things happen. And, you know, I said, yeah, I was, I was wanting to write a book on polyamory, but uh, I have shelved the project. And she was like, really? I want to write a book on polyamory. Let's write a book on polyamory. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's write a book on polyamory. And she said, and let's start a publishing company. And I said, okay, we can start a publishing company. Sure. So we started a publishing company. We took six weeks off of work. We went to a cabin in the woods uh, in the middle of nowhere in Washington state that belongs to some friends of hers. 
And we sat down and we wrote more than two. And I guess the rest is history. All right. Uh, I, I have a problem with this story. And I'll tell you <laughs> what it is. You got a beautiful woman in a cabin in the woods and you're going to write. Yeah, you got work done? Really? <laughs> well, so that's the thing. Like, you've heard about this idea of love languages. You know, some people like uh, gifts and some people like words of affirmation and some people like touch. Sure, yeah. My love language, and there are more than five of them. There's this book that says there are five love languages. Yeah, whatever. Uh, one of my love languages is co-creating together. So the ability for Eve and I to like sit down and sort of shut out the world and just work on creating a project together was amazing. That was so, so much fun. Well, um, more power to you. you know. So you birthed a book. Yeah. So we birthed a book. And did it take uh, the traditional uh, 40 weeks to get it from the <laughs> from the conceptual stage to the market? Or how did that process go? Wow, that's a really good question. So we wrote Gestation more period. than two while we were. Yeah, we wrote it when we were out in the, uh, in the cabin. And uh, we did the first draft in about six weeks. And that was the easy part. And then um, we actually went down to Florida. So we, we sent it to the editor, and the editor, of course, made a bunch of notes and, and uh, changes and proposals. And, and then we went down to Florida, and I um, stayed with my partner down in Florida for a while, and we worked on the second draft of the book. And that actually took quite a bit of time as well. And at one point, Eve had printed it out, like all 500 pages of it, and tore it apart and shuffled it. We rearranged chapters, we merged chapters, we split chapters. So we did, you know, a fairly uh, extensive amount of work on the second go-round. And a lot of that we did at a uh, lesbian bar in Tampa, Florida, which was kind of interesting. We would just go there and set up our computers and work. This this, this story gets more and more colorful. All yeah, the it time. does. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything that works, you know. Yeah. So the editing process, the first go round of edits was uh, about a month, I think. And then it took us maybe three or four weeks to do the second draft. And um, then it went back to the editor, of course, for final cleanup and copy editing. So it actually, it was a pretty fast process. It was a lot faster than a lot of nonfiction books. And I think part of the reason was that it almost felt like it was something that wanted to be written, right? Like, you know, we just... We had both had years and years of experience doing poly, and we just there were so many things that we wanted to say that it just kind of you know sprang from us. Now Eve is 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 not present on the call, but she I take it was not a novice to this lifestyle either. No, no, no. She and her husband had been polyamory for years before we met, and ironically, she had actually found the More Than Two website long before we met. So you know there was that. Uh, <laughs> that weird thing that happens where you've read somebody's work or you've seen, you know, something that they've done and then you meet them in person and you kind of have to learn to separate the actual person from your conception that you learn from, you know, their work. Which might and have been the attraction to begin with. Yeah, that that's a little weird sometimes, you know, there's that, that thing that happens that you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I know you because I've read this book that you've written. But, you know, you can never really know a person just from something that they've written. So welcome to the world of celebrity. Well, demi celebrity, maybe. I don't think we're really quite celebrities yet. But, you know, to uh, some people, you probably are. You certainly have a, a book that has uh, been the textbook for polyamorous families. 
So what has been some of these uh, stories that has come out of this celebrity? Because you published this book that has really moved people and uh, opened a dialogue. And I'm sure you get some feedback and run into people. And what are some of the stories that they tell? One of the things that really took us by surprise when we first started talking to people after they'd read the book that I wasn't really expecting was a lot of people would come up to us and say, oh, my God, thank you so much. This book made my life so much better. I broke up because of it. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We were like, wait, what? One of the things that has really resonated with people is the relationship bill of rights that is in more than two. And that was something that um, Eve did most of the heavy lifting on. But we wanted to talk about what makes a relationship healthy and what makes a relationship unhealthy. And so we wrote this kind of bill of rights for people in healthy relationships and how you can tell healthy relationships from abusive relationships. And a lot of people have come to us and said, oh, my God, because I read more than two, I realized that my relationship was abusive or I realized that I was being mistreated by my partner. And we were like, wow, that's really not what we set out to do. But, you know, if people are becoming healthier in their relationships, that's awesome. This new health is something that I'm sure these people were most appreciative of because poly is just not something that was discussed. And Mm -hmm. I mean, the the discussion is still evolving even to, to today. And it's something that'll be evolving for the next century, in my opinion, as we accept a more non-traditional view of what is family and what makes family of choice. Mm-hmm. In, in, for sure, in, for sure. In the 21st century. Um, right now, you know, we're still trying to get same, same-sex same couples, uh, the rights, just couples. And we mm-hmm. haven't even moved into discussing what uh, makes a poly situation. So I think you're on the forefront here, and we appreciate your work. Yeah, I'm really hoping, to be quite honest, that one day, you know, the best thing to me that can possibly happen in um, the poly community is for books like More Than Two to become completely irrelevant. Like, I would love to live in a world where people say, well, I don't need a book to help me build healthy poly relationships because, you know, there's just, there's so much out there and it's become obvious because people have enough knowledge and, you know, enough sort of insight into what makes a good relationship that they don't need to read a book. And if that can happen, I will be very happy. Well, you have some lofty dreams when I (laughs) think about going to the (laughs) checkout aisle at the grocery store and see all the relationship helps uh, uh, articles for couples Yes, out there, monogamous, monogamous quote, couples, unquote, yeah. and all the help that they need. I think there's always going to be a place for the for books to help people put their their thoughts into perspective on what others think. Also, yeah, I think you're right about that. But I can dream. You know, I would love to live in a world where people had just a sort of an an intuitive understanding of how to make relationships awesome. Well, yeah, and um, okay, Pollyanna. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am thinking what the role models we have in pop culture for poly relationships are right now, and for the most part, they are 
the Modi Wath scenario, mm-hmm. and we haven't really looked at a in pop culture a relationship that has uh, gained any traction where it's more complex or varied than a man with more than one wife. Yeah, that is true. And that's one of the things that I see, you know, there's pushback when people talk or think about polyamory. I'll tell people who are not acquainted with poly, oh yeah, I'm poly. And they're like, oh, that means that you're hoarding all of the women, right? You know, and it's like, you have five partners. It's men like you that are the reason that I can't find a girlfriend and i'm like no 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 no. it doesn't work like that at all right you're just sucking them all up yeah yeah i'm sucking them all up all of my partners have other boyfriends too you know i'm not i'm not keeping all of the women's well you're you're keeping a balance and uh, you know the certainly the pop culture on tv now with uh, the brown family and the four wives and the one man i remember back in the early days they were talking about uh, one of the women said, well, what if I were to get uh, another man? And he says, well, that's grotesque. Oh, God. And I'm going, ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, there's an yes, alarm bell going off yes, somewhere yes. here. Cody bothers me. <laughs> yeah. What's fair for the goose is fair for the gander. What's fair for the gander is fair for the goose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, of course, people are like, oh, well, that means you're a cuck then. And I'm like, did you miss the part where I have five partners? I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, there's nothing cucky like it. (laughs) Yeah, there's this. So there's this thing that happens too. And I've um, actually like, I'll I'll give workshops or I'll talk to people about polyamory, right? And they're like, oh my god, you have multiple girlfriends? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, ooh, I want to be like you when I grow up. Can I touch you? You know, and (laughs) and. And do you do your girlfriends ever have sex like with each other? Oh, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah that, that's oh. happened sometimes. Yeah, but it's not the norm. <laughs> and and they're like, yeah, and and you know it happens sometimes. Sure, my partners can also you know have connections with each other, and that's cool. And they're like, oh my god, that's amazing. And then I say, yeah, and they all have other boyfriends too. And they're like, oh uh, god, I could never yeah, do that. Bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is an amazing experience. When your uh, paramours and your metamors come together to become paramours themselves, it's mm-hmm. truly a, a a interesting experience. And what people don't often understand is that we have nothing to say about that. You yep, know, that's exactly. between them, not us. We don't orchestrate it. And you know, it, it's like I'm a dominant, and I will bring all my girls together, and they will all have sex together. It oh, doesn't work that oh, way. It, oh, it, it, it's it a horrible idea. It, it, it really is a horrible idea. Uh, yes. Any top out there that has tried to knows forcing that arrangement is is a sure way for disaster. That is lighting the fuse on the powder keg. Uh, yeah, and this setting yes. of that cake. Oh man, <laughs> I got one that's even better than that too because. Uh, <laughs> I've seen this happen a couple of times where a dominant will say, you know, I can have multiple women, but they're not allowed to have any other partners. And then one of the submissive types will be all like, well, you know, what happens if I feel jealous? And the dominant's like, well, if you feel jealous, that means you're not properly appreciating your role as a submissive because you should be focusing on the dominant and not yourself. God, I've heard people say this and I'm like, really? How is that working for you? Uh, Yeah, probably not that well and not for very long. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, and this question always comes up. So you have a relationship with five women. 
they have a relationship with X many men. How do we control or, or what? Yeah, or whatever. How do we control social diseases and the fluid bonding question? The biggest enemy to sexual health, I think, is shame. Um, I personally tend to be extremely conservative about my sexual health. And part of what that means is that I talk to my partners about uh, STI prevention, about their other um, sexual practices, about things like testing. I am tested regularly myself. I also am tested additionally whenever I'm thinking about taking on a new partner. And I exchange test results with people before I do anything that can transmit disease. And I think that that is like, you know, really a absolute threshold floor for responsible um, sexual health. Uh, I've talked to people who say, well, I just use condoms. And, you know, as long as you use condoms, you're good because you don't you know, have to worry about anything. And that's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that it's the condoms are good against things like HIV or gonorrhea and syphilis. You know, they're not perfect, but they're good. They're not really all that great uh, as protection against things like herpes or HPV. So I don't really think that that goes quite far enough. You are exactly correct on that. And anybody that believes that a condom is the answer for all, they are wrong. Mm -hmm. I tend to take a multi-stage approach. Um, you know, I tend to do testing, uh, disclosure, exchange test results with partners. I choose partners who have similar conservative ideas uh, about sexual health. Uh, I, and in addition to that, if we haven't explicitly talked about fluid bonding and done all of the additional work that goes along with that, you know, talking to other partners, um, another round of testing, whatever, whatever, then we'll use barriers or we won't, you know, have penetrative intercourse. And I've actually seen a study and I don't actually have it right at my fingertips here, but I've seen a study that says that people in consensually non-monogamous relationships who talk openly about um, sexual health are at lower risk of STIs than nominally monogamous people in the general population. You are absolutely correct on that. I have a name for it. And I call it profiling. Mm -hmm. and, and the the women that I'm going to be with, and I know who they are with, the type of people they're with. I know mm -hmm. how clean they are, and I, and I don't talk. I'm not talking about cleanliness and dusty. I'm talking about you know how they maintain themselves, their health levels, if they've had a history of STIs and most, I say most, and I only say that because I don't, I can't name a single situation. None of the women I've ever been with have had any STIs because mm -hmm. they, li they live their life that way. And so consequently, uh, I feel pretty safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've actually never had an STI, including herpes. And that's one of the things that I'm tested for. And I also think that it can be very dangerous to stigmatize uh, STIs because, you know, a lot of STIs are really like take something like um, gonorrhea, for example. It's it's an STI. It's caused by a bacteria. Should you contract it, you, it's treatable with antibiotics generally. Uh, it's really not that big a difference between that and something like strep throat. Right. But people get very ashamed of gonorrhea and don't get ashamed of step, strep throat because we have that stigma attached to it. And that stigma, I think, is dangerous because it makes people uh, more scared to talk openly about uh, sexual health. Especially to their doctor. Mm, yeah. And that is a huge problem. You know, 
there is nothing to be ashamed of. If you had a brush with a situation, you go down, you get it taken care of, you know, do the round of uh, antibiotics or whatever it is that you, you need and get it done. And then you can get back into the healthy swing of things again. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, really important to be um, completely clear with your doctor all the time about what's going on with you because otherwise they can't do their job, right? You know, when I was growing up, my mother always told me there are two people you never lie to, your lawyer and your doctor, because they can't help you if you lie to them. Exactly correct. I am thinking these people that think that our poly lifestyles are so sexually uh, exciting and for them to hear this conversation that we're having about uh, uh, health and how we screen our partners and all that just would take all of the excitement out out of it for for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, not it's about the It's about communication, huh? communication, communication. It's communication and a date book. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? How yes. do you know you've got a Google poly family? Calendar, man. Right, exactly. That's how you know they're they're polling when everybody pulls out their phone and checks their calendar. Uh, yeah, Tuesday, <laughs> yeah, Tuesday night, yeah, Saturday night, yeah. And, and so, by the way, on that doctor thing, I finally got my uh, general practitioner from stopping giving me the eye roll when I talk about the uh, STD t- test. Oh God! <laughs> and and, it, yeah, and he, he now just looks at me. He says, "Oh, okay, yeah, it's that time again." Isn't but it? Uh, you know, I got my my bill for a full panel. The insurance company. Left me with a hundred and twenty-five dollar bill. Wow! On a Ouch. full panel, they don't like you. No, they do not. Uh, but this is the same. Uh, well, it, I won't go into that. But yeah, the full panel is uh, from your doctor's. Not always uh, an inexpensive option, but your health department's always viable. It's a, a more viable situation. You know, some insurance and insurance has gotten a lot worse than it used to be. They used to cover a lot of these panels, and now. You know, coverage has changed and all that. But, you know, if you need to, go down and see the health department. They will get you taken care of. Yep, yep. That's actually one of the things that I recommend for people who don't have insurance is, you know, check out what your local health department offers because usually that's the way to go. So what's in the future? Oh, my God. What is in the future? Wow. That, that's a big question. Besides more more women. <laughs> oh god oh god five is so many i'm so polysaturated polysaturated oh i like that yeah there's a funny thing about that so for years i've been saying i'm polysaturated and i don't have room for other partners and you know i've had other offers and i've always declined because i don't feel like i have the space in my life and i have had uh, a crush on a person who is a metamore of mine for like seven or eight years. I met her when I was over in Europe visiting one of my partners out there. And I met her again uh, recently because she came out for my wedding. And yeah, the crush was still there. And, you know, we spent some time snuggling and it was awesome. And so, you know, she also lives in the UK, but she's coming out to visit in a in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we're still like, I'm like, oh, I'm polysaturated. I can't really have the space or time for another relationship. And she's like, oh, okay, well, that's great. Because, you know, I don't do long distance relationships anyway. And I'm like, splendid. And yeah, we're sort of negotiating. Never say never. Yeah. 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 Life is what happens when you're making other plans. Exactly. Uh, And, you know, stop trying to make it happen in one way and it will just happen. Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? But we're also coming out with a new book. Yes. 
And it's not on polyamory. What is and it Bhakta on? It has nothing to do with polyamory. Uh, we are publishing a novel. It's called Black Iron. It's a work of fiction. It's an alternate history book. It takes place in London in 1855 in a world where there's no Queen Victoria. There's uh, no British Empire. The British don't drink tea. There is still a war in Afghanistan because no matter what you change, there's always a war in Afghanistan. <laughs> and, um, and it's a comedy. So if you're familiar like with uh, Douglas Adams' um, Hitchhiker's Guide oh, to the sure, Galaxy. Oh, sure, sure, sure or any of Terry Pratchett's books, like the Terry Pratchett Discworld books, it's kind of written in that style. Sounds like fun. When will this be out? It will be out uh, fall of this year. And you're auctioning the uh, the rights with uh, with stars now, right? Um, you know, actually, you know, you say that we've talked about doing that. We, uh, we talked about um, maybe pitching to Netflix and um, seeing if they were interested in doing a series based on the world. We've got three books in the pipeline in this uh, world. They'll be out this fall and then 2019 and 2020, and then we'll see what happens after that. But yeah, I think that would be a blast. That would. When you are ready to go, we want to hear back from you. Definitely. We'll certainly get the word out. Sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you for being on the show tonight, and we really look forward to hearing back from you soon. Awesome. It was great to be here. Thank you. You have been listening to episode... 217 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Kohana Koa and Kinky on Daddy and Baby Girl.